Father, we uh, won't come today to give you thanks that you, the great God of all, desire intimacy and relationship with us. We pray that our worship would reflect our desire for you as we respond to your desire for us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Greet one another in the name of Christ.
Just a few things to uh, bring to your attention as we uh, think about the week ahead, Wednesday evening, all of our ministries with children and uh, adults, regular schedule. Uh, next Sunday morning, worship begin at 8.20, 9.40, and 11. Uh, there are a number of inserts in your bulletin today. Uh, they, one of them is about the uh, Valentine's Banquet that College Ministries is hosting. And uh, it has a sign-up sheet about that. If uh, you would like to be a part of it, you can see information related to that. And this uh, lime-colored insert has information about our missions convention, which will take place two weeks from today, that weekend. And there's some things planned for Saturday. There are things that we're doing on Sunday. Uh, there, there are a number of things happening, and we'd love to have you be involved in a lot of those. There's also um, an invitation next um, Sunday uh, about uh, connection with uh, Houghton College students, and you see that on that insert as well. Uh, we hope that uh, you, will, you will be able to be a part of the events of the Missions Convention, and just, it's a time for us just to think more specifically about the world and what God's doing in the world, uh, which has been a part of our church for a long, long time. One of the things that's a part of the convention as well is the collection of our faith promise commitments. It's something we've been doing for the last uh, three years or so. And uh, it's exciting to see what happens when we step out in faith. Uh, We ask God, we pray, ask God to to guide us about what we might give beyond what we would normally give. And then to watch him supply that. And uh, it's been so fascinating to see how God has done that for us. And uh, you see on the back of this card uh, where that money will go as it's collected and uh, throughout this coming year. Um, sometimes it's good to, uh, to hear how God has used uh, steps of faith in uh, other people's lives. And uh, Pastor Kevin is going to take a moment and share about one of those times in their lives when uh, a step of faith uh, was honored by God in ways that they wouldn't have imagined. I wonder if I should come through the door there. Guess not. Uh, back around 1984, 1985, Cindy um, and I were a member of a sports ministry called Sports Life. And we traveled, the organization traveled all over the world. And literally during those days, Cindy uh, and I lived month to month by month um, for paychecks. And it was exciting. It literally, literally was exciting at times. And the ministries out west in Tacoma, Washington, our family and our, most of our support base was back here in the east. And so every summer, we drove back to the East Coast to visit supporters and continue to raise on ongoing prayer support and financial support. We covered the coast 14 times in six years, coast to coast in a car. And one of those summers, we were back home, and we had a 58 Chevy, and we were sitting up at her home, and we were scheduled to share briefly down at the Central New York District um, and uh, Chambers Camp, Cindy's one of her favorite places. And so we're up at her home, and we were really limited on cash uh, to the point that we knew we had enough gas in the ga- our gas hog to get from her home in Rochester down to Chambers Camp, but probably not e- enough to get back. But we knew God um, would provide in ways that we would never know. And so we left literally trusting that God would provide somehow um, the monies to be able to purchase gas to get back home. And we had two stops, one at Central New York District Chambers Camp, and then one at Belleville just around the corner from here over in the near Rushford. And we got down to the church and, uh, or down to Chambers Camp and we were goofing around and having a lot of fun with family on that uh, Saturday morning and afternoon. And um, her, one of her, was be nephews? Um, cousin, one of her cousins, about a 10-year-old boy, um, came up to us and said, um, Aunt Cindy, or Cousin Cindy, she, she was referred to as Aunt a lot of times in that family scenario. And she's, he said to her that um, God had uh, blessed us and each of these children in this family, it's a dairy farming family, each of the children got a cow and they would raise it and uh, they would sell it. And uh, this young man named Daniel had sold his cow and felt that God would want him to give 10% of that to us. And so we had this check for about $200 that was given to us. And I just smiled and thought, who would ever thought that God would provide for our needs to a cow and a a 10-year-old boy at the same time? And that evening, uh, we were just rejoicing and told her parents about it and the excitement of it. We certainly let him know how God was providing for our needs. And that evening, we went into the service, and uh, Keith Drury was speaking on sacrificial giving. 
And as Cindy and I listened to that message, we looked at each other, and without any doubt in our minds, God was asking us to sign that check over to that church, to the camp. And so we took that $200 check or whatever it was, it was a little more than that actually, and we put our name on the back of it, signed it over, and put it in the offering. Not knowing and understanding, but we know God wanted us to do that. And so we did. And the next morning we got in our car and we drove to Belleville, Wesleyan, and the gas gauge was down there by the empty mark and we were beginning to worry. And as we got out of the car and we walked into that little church, and it's a small church, we were greeted by Dorothy Osgood and she looked right at us and she said, with a great big smile on her face, God said, you need this. And she stuck a $10 bill in our hands. And it was an overwhelming amazement to know that God knew and he... It was just, it was tearful for us in those moments as we just smiled and thought, how good is God? How good is God? And we went through the service and shared, and afterwards we were invited to go over to uh, one of the families for lunch. And we were just beaming with excitement how God had provided those $10 to get us home. And then just as we're getting ready to leave, the the, um, woman who had provided that meal, Mrs. Donner, she goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, the little children have been collecting monies for you, your family and stuff, and they gave us another $51 in cash that morning as we drove home. And it was just, just an acknowledgement of God, when we trust and just give, when he says to give, we never know how he will provide. And we just want to encourage you, God has always met our needs, and he's always met your needs, and he will continue to do so. Trust him as you consider faith promise giving. Let God challenge you and guide you, and don't worry about where it's going to come from. If he challenges you, he will provide. Thank you, Pastor Kevin. We have the opportunity now to give back, but a portion of all that God has lavished upon us. I'd like to invite the ushers forward to receive our tithes and offerings. There in the newborn cry, there in the light of every sunrise, there in the shadows of this life, your great grace. It's there on the mountain top.
Spend a few moments praying together. If you'd like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please join me. Father, in this moment of silence, we contemplate your grace that seeks us and finds us and pursues us. Father, we thank you for your grace that comes to us in the high and exuberant and joyful moments of life and your grace that is with us in the most difficult, painful, sorrowful moments of life. We thank you that your grace is present with us when we know it and we feel it and we see it and when we don't. We thank you for your love and mercy and goodness to each of us. Father, as we come to this moment of prayer today, we not only reflect on your goodness, but we also bring before you all of the struggles and the pain and agony and burdens that weigh upon us. We pray that you will heal the sick. We pray that you will comfort those who grieve. We pray that you will restore all that is broken. Give us confidence about following you for the future. We pray that you will give us hope when we are tempted to despair. Father, in this moment of silence, we lay before you all of our concerns, our burdens, our struggles, And we know that you hear us. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. We thank you for your love that pursues us, that desires relationship with us, to change us and transform us and to fill us with joy and life, with peace, with your spirit. We offer our prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving and of intercession. Through the name and the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. And as with the tradition of the church, we would like that we would stand together in the reading of the gospel. Immediately following the reading, uh, the children may be released for children's church and junior church. Again, uh, Luke chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I do not know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I do not know you or where you come from. Away from me, all of you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. And we see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. One of the great questions of a lot of people in the church and even people outside the church is who gets into the kingdom and who doesn't? Who, who gets to be a part of, of going to heaven and um, whose destiny is someplace other than heaven? You, you will hear these debates all the time. You will hear it in the church. You will hear it in culture and society. And everyone seems to have an opinion based on a wide variety of thoughts and, and theologies and whatever else people think about. We, are, we, are, we love to debate the question, who gets in and who doesn't? That's been going on a long time. It's been going on for centuries. As people wonder, who is, who is a part of, of what God is doing and, and who's going to be judged by God? It goes back to the Old Testament And we see it in this passage of Scripture that we read this morning. Jesus is out teaching with people. Someone comes to him and says, Lord, are only a few people going to get into the kingdom? I don't know exactly what motivates that question. I don't know exactly the, uh, the intent behind that question. But it sounds like one of those questions that's not just an innocent thing that someone woke up in the morning and thought, huh, what about that? You get the sense there is something behind it. Some type of agenda. Some type of, of, of wondering about something bigger than just that question. Just like a lot of our questions. It may be that it may be that it's just a legitimate question. Lord, I, are there only going to be a few people to get in? I'm really curious. I suspect it might be, Lord, only a few people are going to get in, right? There's only going to be a few of us that get into the kingdom, Right? It might be that this person is coming and has just had a discussion with someone who has said to them, you're not getting in. You don't believe the right things. You don't see God in the right way. You do things that, good grief, God's never going to let you in for that. And now they, so they come to Jesus and say, are, is it really true? Are only a few people going to get in? And it brings us back to that question that we are continually asking Is the kingdom small or big? What fascinates me is not so much the question as it is Jesus' answer. Doesn't it drive you crazy when you read the scriptures and someone asks Jesus a question and it's as though he completely ignores the question? You know, ask him, so are only a few people going to get into the kingdom? And Jesus doesn't say yes. He doesn't say no. He doesn't say, well, let me explain to you how this is going to work. He doesn't say that at all. He doesn't even come close to answering the person's question. Instead, he does what he so often does is he turns it back around on them. And in essence, he says... That's not the right question to be asking. Instead, he says to them, let's not talk about whether a whole bunch of groups of people are going to get in or not. He looks at the person and says, make sure you get in. I suspect sometimes our debates about who gets into the kingdom and who doesn't is simply a way to deflect us thinking about our own relationship with God. There's nothing real personal about having a debate. Does that group of people get into the kingdom or not? Is this group of people worthy to be in the kingdom or not? 
when the, those are easy debates to have because there's nothing personal about it. There's no responsibility in those. It's just debating a question, and we love to do that. And Jesus keeps bringing us back to, well, that may be an interesting discussion, but what about you? It's really not about who gets in and who doesn't. It's about whether we are getting in. And that's a whole different question. And Jesus' answer is, make sure you enter by the narrow door. Now, there are a lot of things tied up in that answer. One of the fascinating things to me about his, his, his uh, answer is that he says, make every effort to enter by the narrow door. Now, when the word make every effort is, is a word that means to compete as though you were in like the Olympic Games, in the ancient games, somebody who competed, you, you gave everything you had to compete. And that didn't just mean on the, in the moment when you may have run the race, but it's all the time you spend leading up to the race. It's training, it's preparing, it's getting yourself to the point where you compete to the best of your ability. And you give it everything you have. It's also a word that means to fight. And so it's, it's used by Paul when he says, um, I have fought the good fight. I have given everything I have to the kingdom of God. I have given all that I am to, the, to preaching the gospel and living out the gospel. I have fought with every ounce of my being. And the shocking thing about Jesus' answer is that he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And in my mind, that says to us, it's not just about the grace of God opening the door for us. It's about us walking through the door. Now, we get a little nervous when we start talking about uh, make every effort to, be, to get into the kingdom. Because we have been taught for so long that salva- we can't earn our salvation. And that is true. I mean, we're just saying, who alone can rescue? Who alone can save? Can any of us do that? And we know we can't. But we get so nervous about about making sure that we don't communicate that we are trying to earn our way to God, that we're trying to earn our way to heaven, that we go to the other extreme and say, I don't have anything to do with it. And when I read the New Testament, I don't find Jesus getting upset about people who, who may be working hard to get into the kingdom. In fact, I see him saying to people, you got it. Now, it's still the grace of God. The door is only available to us because of the grace of God. But Jesus is saying to us, you got a role to play here. You got a significant role to play here. The door may be wide open, but you got to walk through it. You got to want to. Make every effort to enter by the narrow door. Implied in that word, make every effort, is this sense of passion, a desire, a want to. You think about the things in your life that you're passionate about. What do you do? You give them your time, your energy, your focus, your money. The things that we are passionate about, we give ourselves to. And Jesus is simply saying, I want that kind of passion When it comes to my kingdom, if you want to enter my kingdom, you got to have that kind of passion. I think sometimes we think that the kingdom is just, you know, we we think, well, if I'm just half-hearted about it, as long as I'm facing that direction, I'm okay. And Jesus is saying to us, that's not enough. It's got to be passion. It's got to be desire and focus. So what do we do with our time? Every one of us, stop and think, how do I spend my time? Tozer says, what you do with your time, what you do with your your energies and your thoughts and your focus, 
it, it describes you. So when you think about the, the, our days, where's our time going in terms of, how, what does it say about our passion for Christ and our passion for God? How important would people think God is to us if they said, looked at how much time we give to God, the quality of the time we give to God, our energy, our money, our resources. What do we do with what we have? You know, our, our, our checkbook, our credit cards, our, our bank statements, they say a lot about what's important to us. What does it say about the effort we are making to enter through the narrow door? What does it say about our passion for God that we, that we give sacrificially to the kingdom of God? That we are stepping out in faith in the way we give for the kingdom of God. What are we doing with what we have for the kingdom? Is there a sense of passion or is there a sense of drudgery about what we do? We're just doing it because it's the right thing to do, because we have to do it. Not because we are passionate about doing it. Make every effort. I mean, we do this all the time. I mean, if you want to be good at something, you give yourself to it. If you want to be a a, a great soccer player, athlete, then it means that you are committed to training and, and training not just, you, you train until it hurts a little bit and then you quit. You train through the pain and you practice and you practice and you, and you give your time and energy to it. Why? Because you want to be better. Because you have a passion about it. If, if you want to excel in, in music or in art, you learn, you study, you train, you practice. And you keep practicing. And you keep working at it. If you want to be good at writing, you study, you learn, and you write. And you don't just write one draft or two drafts or three drafts. You write 15 drafts to get it where you want to be. And you let people look at it and they critique it. And you take it because you want to be better. You want to be a doctor. You study, you learn, and you practice on anybody who will let you practice on them. And you keep doing it, and you keep learning, and you keep growing, and you read journals, and you read materials, because you want to get better and better and better at it. Because deep within you, there is a passion to be the best you can be at whatever you're doing. And Jesus is simply saying, doesn't God deserve that from us? Isn't that what the kingdom is about? Having that passion, that yearning, that desire for God. Jesus talks about this this door we're going through as a narrow door. And he says that there are, the time will come when people will come to the door and it will, this narrow door becomes a locked door. And people are knocking on the door and the master of the house says, I don't know you. They're pleading to get in. And we read that and it just, it's kind of disturbing because we think, well, man, if they want to get in, shouldn't you let them in? I mean, isn't that a part of it that you want to walk through the door, that you want to be in the door? Something in the way Jesus describes that says to me that they don't really want to get in. They just want to get away from where they are. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference from I want to get out of the, of the difficulty I'm in versus I want to be in the good thing that God is offering me. He says, I don't know you. That word to know implies Intimacy. And they say to him, well, look, you know, we ate with you, we drank with you, we, you taught on our streets. And he says, yeah, that's right, but I don't know you. You know about me, he says. 
but we don't know each other. There isn't an intimacy with me. Because you're just seeing me as a scapegoat, not as a passion in your life. You get the feeling it's it's almost like uh, what would happen if somebody in a crowded theater yelled fire. I mean, everybody would be rushing for the excess to get out. And it doesn't really matter where you go once you get out. They just want to get out of danger. And Jesus is saying the kingdom is more than just trying to get out of danger. It's about wanting Christ. You think of it this way. He talks about the master and the door. You think of someone you're invited to live in the master's mansion. And you come into the mansion and and it's an awesome place and, and and you're excited to be there. But pretty soon you realize that if you live in the mansion, you've got to live by the master's rules. And that's kind of grating on you a little bit. And so you start telling the master about better ways to run the mansion and better ways to do things. And and it's like, no, if you live here, it's it's my mansion. You got you gotta do things the way I do them. You the fact that you live in this mansion means that you live under the reign and the rule of the master, the king. And after a while, that isn't really what you want, and it begins to irritate you. And you realize that you'd really rather be out of the mansion than in the mansion. It's what Lewis describes in the great divorce. These folks who are in hell have the opportunity to get on a bus and go to heaven. And they look around heaven and they have the chance to stay in heaven. But they don't want to. What they see in heaven, this spirit of love and forgiveness and mercy and grace makes them sick. Because that's not what the passion of their life is. And amazingly, they all get on the bus and go back to hell because that's what they really want. You see, one of the things that we wrestle with here is, is this door is narrow. And, and, and we think, okay, it's narrow, I'll kind of walk my way through it as best I can. But as someone said to me recently, this door is really God-shaped. You know, it's, it's like the cartoons, you know, where the guy... And you see the out whoops of their shape in the wall. You know that picture, those pictures of that? You know the guy's doing this. And, I mean, it's sort of that way. And and the whole point is not to try to change the outline of the door, but to let God so shape us that we fit through his image. And what most of us want to do is we've got all this baggage that we are carrying with us. And we got our stuff. You know, this is important to me. This is my stuff. This is all my things that are important and passionate to me. And I want to walk them through the door and we can't get them through the door. And we try everything we can. There's only one solution. Got to let go of the baggage. We spend our lives thinking that the, the door is... It's just wide enough that we can keep all of these things that are precious to us. All of these things that are passions for us. We can get them through the door if we just push hard enough, work hard enough. But the kingdom is about surrender. That's why Jesus says that on that day, there are going to be expected and unexpected people. Who are in the kingdom. He says to this group of of Jewish people around him, on that day you're going to see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets. And they're all going to be there. And people are going to come from the north, the south, the east, the west. He's implying by this that Gentiles are going to come from all over the world. People that they wouldn't expect to be there. They're going to be in the kingdom. And he says, a whole lot of you are not. You know enough. You've learned enough. You understand enough. You just don't want to let go of these passions 
that quite frankly are more important than Jesus. As you move on to the end of this chapter, Jesus says, he he looks over Jerusalem and he laments. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I have longed to gather you under my arms like a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you've refused. And you can sense the lament and the pain that Jesus feels. And it strikes me as I think about that, that one of the, one of the real tests of our passion for Christ and our passion to, to walk through the door that he has set before us is that when we see people who have rejected Christ, that we respond not in, in delight at what they're going to get, but in lament and grief and pain because they have rejected what they were created to experience. The door is narrow, not because God wants to confine us, not because God is is trying to, to hurt us, not because God is trying to minimize joy in our lives. It's narrow because God alone is the only means to life. And to satisfy those deepest yearnings of our souls. And he knows that only walking through the narrow door gets us to where we truly, deep inside, were created to be. So here's my question for us. What are the passions of our lives? You think about the things that are important to you. And there are lots of things that are important to us and they're good and they're gifts from God. But what things might be more important? What kinds of luggage are we holding on to as we try to get through the door? Are we willing, ready, passionate enough to say, Lord, I see it. Help me let go. Because I want you. I want your kingdom more than anything else. In this moment of silence, let's just ponder God's word to us, His spirit in our hearts speaking to us. Father, you have blessed us with so many good things in this life. Thank you. Forgive us for allowing your gifts to become more important than you. Give us eyes to see. 
Give us willing hearts to surrender again anew. That we might know the joy of your kingdom. We pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing to God. the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.